Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast, presented by SeatGeek, the best place to buy tickets for sporting events and concerts. Download the SeatGeek app onto your smartphone and save $10 off your first purchase by using promo code SOX. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Thursday, December 13th, as we record this, recapping the 2018 winter meetings. Plenty of pitchers found a new home during the three days in Las Vegas. Andrew McCutcheon is is a Philadelphia Philly now, Uh, and the Chicago White Sox found their James Shields replacement in the starting staff by making a trade with Pittsburgh for Ivan Nova. We'll recap that trade with the Pirates for Ivan Nova and the impact that Nova could possibly have on the White Sox in 2019, but we can't start a winter meetings recap without talking about Bryce Harper, which the entire baseball world is talking about this possible dream that maybe Bryce Harper will sign with the Chicago White Sox, really expanding White Sox fans' imagination what was thought to be a fantasy just two months ago. To help discuss this stream is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. I'm speaking with you from San Diego, the home of next year's winter meetings, which I am hoping to be attending because why not? It's San Diego. Uh, Let's start on a scale of 1 to 10, Jim, with 10 being super excited and 1 not caring at all. Where do you stand today? about the Bryce Harper rumors to the White Sox? Uh, well, I suppose as a 
proprietor of a White Sox website, I would say 10. <laughs> Actually, it's very good for business, <laughs> you know, if this thing comes through. So, I, uh, you know, when it comes to that, you know, my interest, which may not be everybody's interests, yeah, it's it's uh, sky high. I would say as a fan, as, as somebody, um, you know, I, more along the lines of expectations and, and getting, you know, potentially disappointed, I would say more about a seven. Just I think there are some ways that it could fall through, but I think the White Sox right now are doing everything they can, it seems, to put themselves at the front of it and, and be front and center. And that's all you hope for. Uh, yeah, perhaps at some point there could be some kind of thing where the White Sox, you know, uh, we'll find out their limitations or what they won't offer or what you know, other teams can step up and do. But for the time being, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing and they're where they're supposed to be. But seven's pretty high. I mean, there's a lot of people who are listening to this podcast that follow us on Twitter, Jim, and read your work every day on SoxMachine.com looking for, I don't know, realism? Because obviously with us being, you know, covering the White Sox and being White Sox fans ourselves, we have a natural pessimistic view, right, on the game and on this team. Maybe it's just because the last six seasons just being dismal as far as they're losing ways. And the White Sox, this is not a move that they make. They don't go after big superstars in free agency like Bryce Harper. I would put myself at an eight, and you said that you put yourself at a seven. And like I mentioned, there's probably people listening to this right now hoping to get some realism and maybe we'll talk them off cloud nine for a moment about Bryce Harper. But Jim, I just feel like in the cosmos, the planets are aligning here. Like this, this was ridiculous to talk about two months ago in October, but here we are in December after the winter meetings. And you got guys like John Heyman who are very well connected Go on MLB.com, uh, MLB Network, I should say, an hour before we record this podcast, now picking the White Sox as the favorite to sign Bryce Harper. Isn't this almost borderline insane? A little bit. Um, and I would trust somebody like John Heyman more than Jim Bowden was the previous um, commentator uh, pinning the White Sox to Harper and, and saying they were the front runners and Bowden's had a really rocky history when it comes to sourcing. And, uh, he's been, he's been known to push along fake sources or get, or dupe by him and everything like that. And just, uh, so I place pretty much no faith in his reporting but when it comes to Heyman, who's been, if nothing else, very tight with Scott Boris, um, and, and kind of been helpful to Boris's agenda when it comes to passing along stuff that's kind of favorable to his clients. Um, you know, that means a little bit more. And, you know, I guess to that point, you know, it could be being favorable to Boris because he's saying the White Sox are serious and Harper is considering them seriously. And so the contenders, the teams that might have more of a natural advantage when it comes to where they are winning wise, uh, will have to step up. But no, it just, it's, uh, you know, it, I would say, you know, the kind of natural pessimism that sets in about the White Sox, um, you know, is still there. You know, the, the fact that they, are kind of the second pick in Chicago and, and that they've had a very limited national footprint and, you know, the, the ratings being at rock bottom, the intents being lackluster and so forth. And just everything that, you know, the lack of inertia, uh, you know, positive momentum that the team has built, just kind of having this fall in their laps seems a little bit unlikely, but uh, yeah, just, you know, when you look at where the White Sox are and, and um, you know, just how, you know, they haven't screwed it up yet or haven't, uh, you know, thrown any water on it yet, you know, even just, you know, for fans. Um, you know, and I think, you know, given the, I would say the drudgery of the last six seasons and especially, you know, I would say the last uh, you know, the last couple of years, the Robin Matura era and then uh, the true, true rebuild years, 
I think fans can allow themselves to enjoy this a little bit just because, you know, perhaps it won't work out. Perhaps the Dodgers or Nationals or Cubs or Phillies or some team that's close to contending come out somehow comes up with an offer he likes and the White Sox, you know, despite their best effort, you know, don't land them. Yeah, I know there's no consolation prize, but at the same time, it just there's, I think that's a positive message in that the White Sox are willing to break down that barrier and, you know, spend a, you know, a nine figure contract and, uh, you know, for a player who deserves it. And I think, you know, at this point in, uh, you know, where the White Sox are, I think that's really the only kind of contract that makes sense to go that big. And I agree with you on that. Or Manny Machado, which we'll get to Machado in a... Oh, yeah. Yep. Basically, all the all the Harper stuff also right. applies to Machado. Now, with the with the Harper stuff, and you know, for White Sox fans that are following this every day, I mean, we are now freaking out about Instagram photos, Jim, because Bryce Harper made a comment on Nicky Delmonico playing wiffle ball with White Sox fans that took that vacation with the players and members, other members of the team, uh, to Mexico. That I think Apple Vacations puts on every year. Uh, and, and Bryce Harper liked it and, you know, he made a comment and socks on the beach. I think even Yahoo sports picked up that Instagram photo, uh, <laughs> and wrote a post about it. I, I guess it just ties into how serious should we take these rumors? Because yesterday on Wednesday in the morning, you got Bob Nightingale of USA today stating that the White Sox don't believe that they're fit. They're the favorites. And then you mentioned Jim Bowden, Jim Bowden, who now writes for the athletic uh, goes on CBS and says the White Sox are the favorites. I mean, it, it's so hot and cold. It seems like it, it just in a given day. Mm-hmm. So out of everything that's being put out there, as far as the rumors and even the silly things like making comments and other players, Instagram photos, uh, how serious should fans and maybe even people like us, media outlets, take these rumors? Uh, you know, I, I think I would take the reporting stuff somewhat seriously. I mean, I, I would say I it, it's entertainment. This is an entertainment industry, and the hot stove is about following these rumors and the ebbs and flows. So I think, you know, there is, you know, there, there's reason for people to run with rumors, and I think there's, you know, um, you know reason for reporters to, um, you know, I, I think that's kind of a harmless thing right now, the, you know, the, the kind of off-season industry. And the winter meetings and the whole thing that you know the MLB gets you know likes to lean into it too, and so it's all just kind of there. Uh, the Instagram comments and everything like that just uh, no, nah, I mean that that doesn't really get me going just because it's uh, uh, you know ML Major League you know baseball players uh, and you see it with NBA too and uh, athletes just such a closed social circle that I think you know there are a lot of crossed friendships, especially, you know, with the, um, you know, with travel ball and with showcases and with, you know, players around the age of Delmonico, you know, but they're both 26 and, and they're both stateside players. I imagine they've crossed paths plenty of times. Same thing with the, uh, you know, Harper and Chris Bryant. I think just, you know, it, whether it's because you grew up next to each other or because you travel so much and, and, and play, you know, in all these showcases, these kind of turn into your friends. So I think, you know, Delmonico type, um, you know, being friends with Harper, not all that unlikely and just kind of, yeah, I think they just like liking when it comes to Instagram and such. So it's, yeah, nothing really there for me, but it's kind of fun. And I, I do enjoy the jokes that come from it, if nothing else. You mentioned the reporting. So continuing the conversation about Bryce Harper, this is what is known from the reporting that the Chicago White Sox have had multiple meetings with Bryce Harper. They met with Harper for five hours back on November 19th. So that was a little, almost a month ago that they flew out to Vegas and met with him face to face. 
There are reports that Jerry Reinsdorf and Scott Boris have been speaking directly with each other, which is a good sign because ultimately Jerry Reinsdorf is the decision maker here and he's got to get the green light and he's got to get the other minority owners of the White Sox to be okay pointing up this type of money. So, you know, and part of the competition is known, right? We know that the Philadelphia Phillies are the main competition for the White Sox, not just for Bryce Harper, but it also appears to be Manny Machado. And then there are parts that are unknown in team's pursuit of Bryce Harper. You mentioned them earlier, Jim, the Los Angeles Dodgers, but the Dodgers really, I don't think should be taken seriously until they move an outfielder, which they're trying to do. It sounds like there is rumors that Yasiel Puig could be traded to Cleveland or Cincinnati. And of course, the Chicago Cubs, in which the fan base for the Cubs believes that Harper ultimately wants to wear the cubby blue and wants to play beside his friend Chris Bryan, and they'll make it happen. Now, again, I consider, me, this is my opinion, the Dodgers and Cubs unknowns because until they, A, free up some money to ensure that they'll be below the luxury tax threshold, and B, free up some roster spots, that I can't take them serious contenders right now when you compare them to the White Sox and Phillies who just don't have those restrictions right now. Uh, but do you think that by Scott Boris advising Harper to wait for other teams to shuffle their rosters and possibly make an opening on their team uh, and get themselves involved in the sweepstakes before Harper makes a, a final decision, will this process be too long of a wait, do you think, for Jerry Reinsdorf and the White Sox to to sign Harper if this extends to mid-late January? I don't think so. I think the White Sox are pretty handy to the goals of, of Boris and Harper in that, you know, I, I think Han said, uh, I'm not sure if it was MLB Network or in the media scrum, but basically said like he had no interest in signing, you know, 30-something-year-old free agents, like the guys who had earned the mid-level contracts, uh, the three-year deals, um, you know, for maybe buying into a decline. He said he had no interest in doing that. So when it comes to, you know, how and where the White Sox are adding, you know, I don't think any of their financial capital is really going anywhere. I think just the, you know, Boris would have to worry about Machado, you know, going to the White Sox before uh, Harper. You know, Machado agreeing to a deal. I think right now Machado is playing a lot slower, but, you know, perhaps depending on who he's waiting for, um, you know, perhaps the uh, tides could turn and Machado starts speeding it up. But, um, otherwise, it doesn't seem like the White Sox resources are going to be going anywhere. You know, I think uh, if it's not um, if it's not Harper or maybe Yasmani Grandal, just because of the need of catcher and and, and uh, you know what the White Sox are missing there. You know, maybe somebody like him. Um, but I don't think Grandal would block a Harper type acquisition, and I don't think that um, you know any of the other deals it could make. Um, would block the position of need. I don't think it would find somebody as good as a Harper or a Machado, you know, for those two positions on the trade market, unless they wanted to trade like somebody, you know, who they aren't going to move, like, you know, Eloy Jimenez or Luis Roberts. So I think uh, it, it seems like the White Sox are in a position to wait it out. And I think that's works to their advantage and also a bit of their disadvantage if it turns out that, you know, the Dodgers or Cubs or, or whoever uh, can free up the necessary resources or roster spot to make it happen. All right, so that's what I have for Bryce Harper here as far as the notes. I I say, White Sox fans, stay excited. It's been a while since we've been this excited, right, for a potential player to join the White Sox via free agency. Uh, it, it's entertaining. It's fun. 
again, this was a fantasy two months ago after the regular season, thinking that there's no way. There's no way the White Sox are going to be in the race for Bryce Harper. But here we are after the winter meetings, and you have longtime national reporters saying they think the White Sox are the front runner. So definitely one thing to follow after the winter meetings. The next is Manny Machado. Now, I, Jim, to me, it seems like Bryce Harper is is when it comes to order of targets, 1A and Machado's 1B. Would you agree with that? Seems like it, although it's hard to tell with Machado because his market really hasn't formed uh, significantly. So I don't know if it's the order of how the White Sox are preferring it. Uh, I think I did see one tweet to that effect that the White Sox preferred Harper over Machado. But I think when it comes to, um, I guess, the timing of it, uh, even if the White Sox did like Machado, I don't know if the market will form enough to really get that sense that uh, there's any kind of favorites shaping up. Well, I think Machado's 1B. So I agree with those that say that Harper's 1A. It just, it just does feel like Bryce Harper is 1A, but we could be wrong because, again, the White Sox do play things close to the to the vest. But with Machado, he made it known that he wants to go on a recruiting tour. So he's going to visit these teams in their markets, kind of like Patrick Corbin did uh, when he went through his free agency process. And Machado is going to be visiting the White Sox. He's also going to be visiting Philadelphia. He's also going to be visiting the Yankees. And according to John Heyman, he's going to be visiting three mystery teams. So that's, we'll see that's, yeah, this. that's where the uh, silliness and entertainment <laughs> aspect comes in. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, how should the White Sox play this, Jim? Because obviously if, you, if the White Sox are all in on Harper and he is 1A, how much effort are they going to put in their pursuit of Manny Machado? And the second part is there are some White Sox fans who think Manny Machado should be the number one target and not Bryce Harper. What do you think about the White Sox pursuit to Machado in those two factors? Well, I think the, the uh, I would say the second question is shorter, so I'll go with that. I think, you know, Machado fills a need on the depth chart, uh, you know, a lot more easily. Um, you know, just uh, they don't have to worry about Jake Berger or anything like that. Just third base can kind of write it off for the rest of the decade unless there are some opt-outs in there but uh so i think you know machado makes more sense um i'm fine yeah it's hard to be picky for me it just uh i think harper does have a bit of star appeal that machado doesn't have i think he's just kind of more uh yeah i think machado has kind of leaned into the heel role a bit um you know with the kind of uh, we've seen it with the with the White Sox, we've seen it you know, in previous seasons, like uh, you know, letting go of the bat <laughs> when he did that years ago, and then it kind of resurfaced in the postseason with stepping on heels and such. And you know, the White Sox like that. Uh, White Sox fans, like we saw with AJ Pruszynski, don't mind uh, the dirty play when it's on their team. Uh, but I think uh, I would argue Machado for need, but Harper, I think, is just I think more marketable, and so it does uh, bring more eyes and attention to the White Sox just because he is. Uh, yeah, I think since probably. 17 years old he's been just somebody who draws a lot of attention so there's that but when it comes to um you know just how the white Sox should play it i think you know well theoretically the white Sox payroll is so low that they could pretty much afford both of them and still have like a league average payroll so you know i i think when it comes to that um i'd like to say you know hell I'll spend for both of them but uh <laughs> assuming that it is one or the other um I think maybe this is the one area where the White Sox can have some leverage if it turns out that they're, you know, basically 
top of the market, or at least, you know, I would say offering the top contract for both of them, um, you know, or in a position to, you know, maybe that's the one area where the White Sox can make Harper speed up his decision process a little bit. Say if, you know, Harper is waiting for things to come available, you know, if Machado is nearing a decision and the White Sox look like they're in front, you know, perhaps they can say like, well, you know, uh, Machado is nearing, so it's basically now or never, um, you know, maybe that's the one thing they can use because otherwise they're basically at the mercy of the market and uh, knowing and, and the agents knowing that the White Sox want to spend on them and only them. So you know, I think that's, I'd play both very earnestly. Like I wouldn't use them. I would just say, you know, if I'm talking to Machado and, and I, I try to treat them as both independent decisions all the way to the end and until, you know, assuming their number one choice is Harper until Harper, you know, says like, all right, I'm ready to sign. And that that's a really good point, Jim, because I think for Scott Boris, he wants Machado to sign first, right? Because Scott Boris, he's got an agenda. He wants his client, Bryce Harper, to sign the largest contract in MLB history. Machado could challenge that, right? So it's like, who wants to blink first, right? Who wants to sign first? Because whoever signs first is probably walking away this offseason with the second largest contract and the one that waits the longest could end up with the largest contract. So mm-hmm. I, I, I'm i intrigued on how the White Sox will approach as far as Manny Machado. But I agree with you, Jim. If they feel like that is a better possibility, uh, I think they should go all in in Machado. And I know there's a lot of people that's excited about Bryce Harper, but if the White Sox net Manny Machado, people I will still be ecstatic. Uh, that the White Sox got him ever since last winter meetings when there was the possibility that the White Sox could trade for him. The thing about Machado is is that you do have a superpower that's in the mix that I think there's mutual interest between Machado and the New York Yankees. Mm-hmm. And the Yankees do have a need at shortstop with Didi Gregorius out for half the season at least because of needing Tommy John. And I believe Gregorius is on the last year of his deal. So Machado can play shortstop and then he can move over to third base, which there's already rumors that the Yankees are entertaining the idea of trading Miguel Andujar, uh, who I think is a great offensively. But yeah, watching him defensively, he struggled a lot last year in the hot corner. Uh, I think the competition is stronger right now for Manny Machado for the White Sox than it is for Bryce Harper. Does that make sense, Jim, or do you think I'm off base? No, I'd agree with that. Between the Phillies and Yankees, I think both are very motivated. Uh, yeah. I think maybe more so for Machado than yeah. Harper. I, that That's how I feel as well. So I, I think Machado, if I had to guess, is closer to sign than Bryce Harper. Despite Bryce Harper having all of these meetings, it does seem like Scott Boris is waiting a little bit to see how other teams shuffle their rosters and possibly make openings to add new teams to the mix. And of course, what does that do? It increases the probability of uh, Bryce Harper making more money, more years, and having the largest contract in Major League Baseball history. Okay, so those are the big rumors that obviously everyone is talking about uh, about with the White Sox, Bryce Harper, Manny Machado. Let's talk about a transaction that actually happened, not rumors for a moment. And that's the Chicago White Sox acquiring starting pitcher Ivan Nova from the Pittsburgh Pirates. Fan graphs with Steamer, so this is the Steamer projection. Steamer's projecting a one-and-a-half war season in 2019 for Ivan Nova, which is good because the White Sox didn't have many starting pitchers that had uh, a war value more than one. 
2018. So Ivan Nova could provide a boost for the White Sox. He pitches to contact, which means that he's got a high home run rate, which would be interesting to see how that works in guaranteed rate field for Nova. But he has a small walk rate. Last year, the James Shields had the best walk rate out of the Chicago White Sox starting pitchers at 3.4 walks per nine innings. Nova is down to two. So Nova does not give away free passes as often as the other White Sox starting pitchers. And hopefully that type of mentality rubs a little off on the other White Sox starting pitchers. Jim, do you like the move of adding Ivan Nova to the rotation, taking James Shields spot? And what do you think Nova could bring to the White Sox? I would say as a move, it's okay. You know, it's not exciting. I think his upside is limited based on what you said about him pitching the contact. Doesn't really get swings and misses is Homer prone. Um, I think when it comes to Nova, it seems like it's more, you know, he does provide competency. He does provide innings. And I think when you look at his National League innings tolls, which I think he averages like 160 something, yeah, I think that's a bit um, underselling it just because National League pitchers get lifted earlier because of pinch hitting and such. So I think that's probably like a 180 inning pitcher in the American League, which is fine. The White Sox can use that. Um, yeah, he's gotten good points for his mentorship. You know, if you think that means something, um, yeah, I'm kind of less inclined to you know, put too much stock in that, but you know, there's that. But I think when it comes to this kind of move, I think it might be, you know, given that Nova's in the last year of his deal and given that he, he's, you know, getting paid appropriately, you know, 9.25 million, um, significant salary, um, for what, you know, what the White Sox payroll looks like. Um, it seems like it might be kind of trying to jump his free agency a little bit. Um, you know, I think he's a guy that White Sox have liked in previous years. I think when he was a prospect with the Yankees and coming up, um, you know, Han said that there was interest in talking uh, with the Yankees to try to acquire him in a trade. So maybe there's something about him they've always liked and, you know, seeing the opportunity to get him uh, for Jordi Rosario, just, you know, a rookie league pitcher. Uh, you know, he's years away from the majors and, and given that Nova is, you know, a free agent next year and the White Sox still have pitching holes after this, you know, perhaps they look at it. They, they've always liked the way he throws, but think they can get more out of a slider or something like that at a pitch. Um, yeah, that seems like something where they just have an idea about a guy and, you know, worst case scenario, he's a fifth starter. He gives them innings. He provides tolerable starts and that's cool. Uh, the upside is maybe they unlock something that they've seen in them for a while and maybe they, you know, Nova likes the deal. Uh, they sign an extension and they solve a problem for a few more years. So I think it kind of goes like that for me. And I think, uh, I, you know, I wouldn't put my hopes on that, but I think just kind of the shape of his profile, given what they've said about him, and, um, you know, given the needs and, uh, that they'll have to go in the pitching market next year, probably, uh, seems like a way to kind of dabble in, 2019 2020 free agency just maybe a little bit earlier i like ivan nova than dylan kobe to take on a large role of the starts for the chicago white Sox in 2019 mm -hmm. but yeah. at this moment though you have carlos Rodon, you have lucas giolito you have ronaldo lopez and you got ivan nova you still have dylan kobe probably in the mix of the starting rotation which we'll get to that in some possible rumors or possible targets for the white Sox. Well, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to have a word from our sponsor. But when we come back, we'll discuss the potential targets for the Chicago White Sox after the winter meetings next on the Sox Machine podcast. A quick word from our sponsor, SeatGeek. Getting tickets online can be far too complicated. With hundreds of sites and varying levels of reliability, it's hard to know who to trust. And that's why SeatGeek 
is the way to go. SeatGeek pulls millions of tickets into one place so you can easily find the seats you want for a price you are willing to pay. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. Every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. And when you make SeatGeek your go-to ticket source for everything, it covers sports, comedy, concerts, and theater. And I use SeatGeek all of the time, especially on my smartphone, buying tickets for Chicago White Sox games. But as I mentioned, you could buy it for any type of event, whether it be sports, concerts, comedy, theater. For Chicago Bears fans, this is a great time to take advantage of our promo code to get those playoff tickets uh, that should be happening after the regular season. And all you have to do is just download the SeatGeek app on your smartphone and enter promo code SOCKS. That's promo code SOCKS to save $10 off your first SeatGeek purchase. SeatGeek, life's an event, we have the tickets. Back to the rumors after the winter meetings. There's still a lot of work to be done, even though there was a lot of free agent activity and there were some pretty interesting trades like the one between Tampa, Cleveland, and Seattle. Seattle's always in this trade mess, it seems like. Uh, There's still some potential targets, and we spoke about Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, but many are reporting that after the winter meetings, Jim, the White Sox are looking for a catcher, which makes sense. And we discussed on our last episode our our wish list for the winter meetings, and we did have a catching solution on there. And part of my wish list was, yes, Money Grandel could be a fit. You also made another suggestion. Possibly the White Sox can make another trade with Pittsburgh for Francisco Cervelli. But it seems like with the catcher's market, Jim, that the Miami Marlins and JT Riomuto are seeming to hold up progress being made here for these catchers. My opinion is this, Jim. After Riomuto is dealt, that it will free up and Grandel will not be a free agent much longer. Now, we talked about Harper and Machado and how there's going to be a waiting game. But if Riomuto is dealt quickly... Let's say in the next couple of days, do you think Rick Hahn also has to move quickly to find his catcher as other teams that lose out on not getting Rio Muto will be active and trying to sign the best available catchers? I think it might accelerate the Grandal um, market in particular, maybe the Wilson Ramos one. So I think if he does like Grandal and they've been uh, tied to him in a couple of different rumors that uh, Buster Olney, I think, is the most credible one so far. And then Ken Rosenthal, Buster Olney, pretty good combination for, you know, at least buying some level of interest between the two. Um, it would seem like that might be the time to move, and, and that's when that happens. But I think if they're just looking to upgrade the catcher position in general, I think there's still plenty of time. I think, uh, you know, it's kind of stalled since Robinson Chirino signed with the Astros, but they're Cervelli. Uh, I, I kind of like Russell Martin as a possible buy low, um, acquire for cheap, um, you know, upgrade somebody who is really good framing defense. Um, his bat has kind of, uh, disappeared, but you know, maybe if he's, you know, working a backup workload, you know, perhaps that's something that'll work. Um, but yeah, I, I like those guys on one year, uh, low cost deals, um, at least when it comes to acquiring them. And uh, so if they miss out in Grandal, I think there are still ways to do it. So I, I don't think they're under too much pressure and they can really, go for what they like and, and I guess, uh, you know, what kind of deal they're comfortable with. Now, the other spot on the roster that a lot of people after the winter meetings are thinking that the White Sox will address is adding another reliever that it sounds like the White Sox would like a setup man 
for the projected closer in 2019 that they acquired from Seattle, Alex Colombe. We saw a lot of relievers come off the board during the winter meetings at free agency, Jim. It seems like the winter meetings, that's what it's good for, just to know which relievers are going to sign. Uh, <laughs> any relievers in the open market right now that intrigue you that could be a fit for what the uh, White Sox are looking for? Not really. Or at least, you know, when it comes to Craig Kimbrell, I guess, like, you know, he's kind of the one holding up the entire market. Um, and, and so there's that. But I think when it comes to the White Sox and where they are, um, I guess I don't get that excited about the free agent market. I think, you know, Colum is fine. Um, but just uh, I think any kind of team that's spending significant money on relievers is just uh, looking to get the most out of them immediately. And uh, depending on where the White Sox are, it seems like, you know, getting that year one boost out of a you know, significant relief contract um, doesn't really excite me too much. Yeah, I thought Joe Kelly could have been a fit from Boston, but that was... Yeah, he got paid, though. Yeah, he did. That was a big deal that he got from Los Angeles, that three years, what was it, 26, $30 million? I think it was around there. I think, yeah, 25. I think 25, 25. yeah. Okay. When I did my off-season plan, I thought Joe Kelly would sign for like two years, $9 million total, because he was making like $2 million a season. You, you double his pay, maybe that will get him from Boston to Chicago. <laughs> No, he got more than double his pay. Uh, he he got paid, and he's going to be wearing Dodger blue. That that was a that was a big shocker to me as far as the surprising signing. But you do have, is it Adam Adovino from Colorado? Yeah, Adovino. Yeah, yeah. I, I like him. You know, just more a matter of just you know how much they're getting paid and and how much the White Sox can use their best years and best stuff. Like I mean, you know, Joaquin Soria. I enjoyed watching him pitch. You wouldn't mind seeing him come back. That that wouldn't be bad, but. Um, when it comes to, you know, Andrew Miller, perhaps, you know, depending on how his market is, that'd be kind of cool. You know, if he could, you know, if, uh, you know, his injuries haven't sapped him too much, but yeah, it just, it's, uh, I think when it comes to relievers, I, I think the White Sox probably aren't at the top of the market and shouldn't be, and probably should look more for either reclamation or live arms, um, you know, and, and, uh, you know, trades, that kind of deal versus, um, you know, spending too much for proven guys who, are supposed to deliver in 2019 and then fingers crossed after that. Now we talked about Nova and his addition to the White Sox starting pitching staff earlier on the podcast before the break, but the White Sox could use another starting pitcher unless they are confident that Dylan Covey can carry some of the workload until Dylan ceases ready on the starting pitching front. I don't know about you. I'm shocked at the fact that Lance Lynn got three years, $30 million from Texas. Yeah. I thought that was a fine deal. I, I, I was shocked that he got three years. I, I I figured like yeah, three years maybe, but I think the annual value. Yeah, is fine. the annual is fine. He's a yeah. Lance Lynn is a ten million dollar a year pitcher. Uh, I I think if you're looking for guys to be your fourth or fifth starter that could pitch well enough to maybe be the third best guy in your starting rotation, I think that price tag now, Jim, is ten million dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and Charlie Morton, he signed with Tampa Bay. I thought that was a surprise. Uh, for two years, $30 million. I thought that was right on target. Uh, and Jay Happ, he's returning to the Bronx. Uh, I think it's a two-year deal, but with a vesting option that could turn into a three-year deal with the New York Yankees, correct? Uh, I think it's, yeah, where they ended up. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so you still have Dallas Keuchel out there, but you know you're, you're, some of your top targets like Patrick Corbin and Nathan Eovaldi were already off the board before the winter meeting started. Now you got Lance Lynn off the board, Charlie Morton's off the board, Hap is off the board. If the White Sox do want to add another starting pitcher, 
Are there any free agents worthwhile after the winter meetings that could be good targets? I'm kind of intrigued a little bit by, you know, I guess depending on the price and what kind of contract, but, you know, somebody like a Matt Harvey, I think, would be in that um, Ivan Nova type situation where, you know, there might be something more there. And, you know, they've, I think he bounced back with Cincinnati and just enough to maintain some promise, but he's also, you know, I guess, you know, has a history of being, you know, hurt and, a little bit high maintenance, and also the Mets are weird, so it's hard to kind of isolate that. But he wouldn't be bad, I think, for kind of a, a you know, one- or two-year deal or a one with a team option or something like that or a you know, mutual option. Um, it, it seems like Gio Gonzalez is somebody who might provide some innings and not command too big of a deal. And, you know, the White Sox have already had him twice, so it seems like it's, you know, only fitting that he ends up actually pitching for the White Sox at some point. But otherwise, yeah, just, you know, there's nothing – or nobody terribly exciting. There's some kind of novelty in Edwin Jackson or Bartolo Colon or, uh, you know, uh, that kind of level of pitcher. You know, Wade Miley has you know, had some decent starts, and you know, especially later in the year. But, um, yeah, not terribly exciting, I would say. And I think that's why I'm, um, you know, I guess that gives the Nova acquisition a little bit of a boost just because, you know, he does have that kind of future value or, um, you know, worth exploring his future value just in case there is a way to come to an extension if he happens to be, be pitching well and the White Sox seem to have figured out something with him. Now, you mentioned earlier in the show about Rick Hahn's comments on MLB Network Radio uh, that was on XM Sirius. So if you would, if you have XM Sirius, you can actually go online and listen to the interview that Rick Hahn gave on Thursday morning about, and that caught my attention too, Jim, that Hahn's not really interested in signing a player that's towards the downside of their career to a three to five year deal. The the name that popped in my head was Michael Brantley when Hahn was talking about that type of player. Uh, do you think a Michael Brantley still makes sense as a plan B if the White Sox don't get Bryce Harper or are there any other free agent targets that we haven't talked about uh, that you think the White Sox could go after or they fit into what Rick Hahn talked about this morning as players that he's really just not interested in? I think, you know, that does kind of speak to the Brantley and maybe A.J. Pollock and Adam Jones, you know, that kind of, um, you know, competent outfielder. Yeah, I would say in, in, in Pollock and Brantley, they're uh, a level above Jones, but just... You know, guys with a track record of producing the majors, but um, are kind of hanging on. I don't think Brantley's. I guess they're both different enough players. I guess to address them individually. Brantley, I think, is fine. I think it's just more of a matter of like, you know, he's a left fielder. Eloy Jimenez probably a left fielder. Uh, doesn't really have the defensive value to kind of um, you know go anywhere else. So when it comes to shifting around an outfielder and trying to accommodate somebody bigger and better, you know, just he's you're kind of locking up a corner doubly in that case so it's i i like watching him hit it'd be great if you're a white on on the white Sox just because he does produce but um i, I kind of see the argument against him pollock i think just you know he's would be an ideal on the white Sox when it comes to you know their major league depth charts and, and their high minor depth chart i think you know it's basabe is just a little bit too far out to count on him yet to produce in center so i think if you got him on a three-year deal that'd be fine just the injuries are you know a problem there but yeah, just uh, and, and and that's what I think the one thing kind of keeping me from being all in on Grandal is that he's had a heavy workload. He's uh, hitting 30, I believe. And so, uh, you know, he's somebody, given how catchers age a little bit quicker, you know, that could maybe be the three-year contract they're referring to and maybe in one way. So, um, you know, there's that to consider. But, 
um, yeah, it just seems like, you know, if it's not, um, if it's not Harper or Machado, uh, it seems like it's going to be, yeah, one-year deals, maybe two-year deals. And then maybe, you know, when it comes to teams like the Dodgers trying to get rid of guys, um, maybe absorbing bad contracts for a prospect or trying to free up somebody who's blocked, you know, that kind of situation we talked about before in the off-season plans. To wrap up this episode of the podcast and a recapping the winter meetings, what do you take away from the 2018 winter meetings for the Chicago White Sox, Jim? Well, just that they're um, serious about spending. Uh, and, you know, that's always been the doubt. And I think we saw that with Luis Robert. Um, you know, the skeptical, I'll believe when I see it when it comes to Robert. I mean, Robert made all the sense in the world when it came to uh, timetable and type of talent position. Um and uh, the loophole closing. So it said, like, if you're going to go big on an international prospect, this should be the guy. You know, it's, it made all the sense on paper. It's just a matter if the White Sox had the stomach for it. And a lot of people doubted that and had to see the White Sox do it, and they did it. You know, they were in the rumor mill all the way, ended up landing him. Um, and probably paying the most. I think the Cardinals were kind of um, maybe around the same thing. Maybe they offered a little bit more, hard to say, when it comes to, uh, you know, the post uh Postmortem quote, sometimes I think it does, uh, um, you know, behoove a team like the Cardinals to say they offered as much or more to make it, you know, uh, sting less. But uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to that, um, you know, they proved it all the way through, um, took it very seriously um, and, and lasted all the way through until Robert picked a team. So I think uh, that's kind of what I'm using to uh, approach this situation and saying like, well, so far, you know, They've been in the rumor mill front and center. They keep um, lasting and strengthening a position while teams fall off. Um, they have not blinked when it comes to price. They haven't said there's anything they won't do or any kind of limit they won't set. They're not playing hardball because um, they're not really in a position to, you know, they don't have extraordinary leverage. Um, and uh, they're not getting cute with it. So I think there's um, there's that. I mean, when you, when you compare the two, uh, the Harper pursuit and the Robert pursuit, just kind of the, the checkpoints, they're hitting them all in the same way. And so that's very encouraging. For me, I think it's Rick Hahn has demonstrated the lessons that he learned from the 2015 and 2016 off seasons where don't live in the mid tier and and don't try to be quick to the gun and getting the mid tier and thinking that you're outsmarting everyone else who is waiting patiently for the best players available uh, that go after the top targets because of the top targets for a reason. And instead of being, I think if this was a repeat of 2015, we're talking about Michael Brantley signing with the White Sox, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're talking about Charlie Morton signing with the White Sox. You know, we're, we're talking about the White Sox signing three to four guys. And it'd be exciting because, hey, it's three to four new players, but uh, these guys are mid-tier. They won't provide the same impact that a Bryce Harper and Manny Machado would. So I, I think for me, Rick Hahn has, it, this is a lesson learned for the franchise on the mistakes that they made that led to their failures for the, the 2016 season. And uh, I am I am really excited to see where this lands. Even if they don't land Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, I still think that this is a, a positive direction that they're moving forward with. Uh, there's a lot of competition. At, at the end of the day, I do think it's going to be about who offers the most money to get Bryce Harper. Uh, but if they can pull this off, wow. It, I think it completely changes the franchise. And, and we will enter in a new era of White Sox baseball that uh, we've never been through before because I don't recall 
I don't think Frank Thomas ever was that level of stardom. Was he when we were kids? I mean, he was my hero, so I thought he was, you know... He had his own shoe. He had his own video game. So I think he was up yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, for yeah, for when he was an MVP, man, I had those shoes. Yeah. So I think he was Zebra up there. Zebra shoes. Yeah. I, I think the strike just kind of killed. There you go. Um, That's a good point. The Sox national profile. But I think, no, I think he was up there. Albert Bell was a big deal. Um, you know, he didn't have the, you know, he was more of the, well, I mean, he really leaned into the heel. Uh, you know, the, uh, the, the bad boy uh, uh, angle and he was just kind of a bad person in a lot of regards <laughs> where I think Machado is just more of a, somebody who doesn't care how he's perceived on the field, but I think he does have, you know, more of a common decency to him. But yeah, I think, you know, there are a lot of parallels with the bell, except that, you know, bell had the opt out. He left after two years. And, and so I think the white Sox are looking at this more of a foundational move rather than, um, a kind of what the hell spending spree that ultimately means nothing. But if they were to get Bryce Harper, then it would, I, then you're right. It would feel like 1994 Frank Thomas. Yeah. And, and, it, and you know, for some fans that are listening to this, they don't know what that feeling is, Jim. So this is brand new. And that's why I think it could just totally change the franchise. The, the, not only the franchise itself finally getting this big fish, right, to get a superstar onto their team and convince them to sign with them, but the fans will definitely buy in, no doubt, to be a huge attendance spike for the Chicago White Sox in 2019. TV ratings will go up just in time for them to sign a new TV deal. Uh, this will have a big ripple effect. And I definitely do think that this is worthwhile for Jerry Reinsdorf and the minority owners of the White Sox to pony up the money to get this deal done. Uh, hopefully soon uh, we'll have an emergency podcast to announce such a signing. Um, but after these winter meetings, though, I, I think the White Sox have learned their lesson. Go big and don't be afraid to go home because it's not worth living in the mid-tier free agency. Yep, I agree. And it's, uh, and, you know, one thing you mentioned about the, uh, you know, that if they lose, so be it. But I think it depends how they lose out. Because, I mean, there's just, you know, given they lost 100 games, I can understand if they, you know, if somehow contender ponies up, the Dodgers are in a better position than the, than the White Sox. You know, that just happens to be the product of losing 100 games. But I think if they blink or if they kind of don't have the stomach for it, then I would be critical. But for the time being, uh, they're checking off, to use Hans parlance, they're checking off the boxes. Yeah, they offer Bryce Harper a four-year deal and say that's their best offer. Yeah. Then, yeah, we can criticize them all day because that, that's just stupid. But I... I I don't have that feeling. I have the feeling that they're being serious about this. They may make an offer more than 10 years, $300 billion that the Washington Nationals made to Harper that he ultimately said no to. Uh, so I, I'm excited, uh, and we're going to be following these stories throughout the rest of the winter, uh, and I hope you guys tag along as well. Again, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. You can follow me on Twitter as well, at Sox Machine underscore Josh. You can read Jim's daily work at SoxMachine.com, and we'll have podcasts in the upcoming weeks as well, covering the news, not just for the White Sox, but all of Major League Baseball during the offseason. So you guys can expect some more podcast episodes coming in the upcoming weeks. But thank you guys so much for listening to this edition of the Sox Machine podcast as we recap the 2018 winter meetings. If you just discovered... The Sox Machine Podcast, you can listen to us in a variety of ways. One is through iTunes, which if you do listen to us in iTunes, 
please give us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback on how you enjoyed our 2018 season coverage. You can also listen to us in Spotify, Google Podcasts, and of course, audioboom.com slash Machine. The Sox Machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Spring is calling and Target's ready with deals for your outdoor space. Grab miracle Grow Potting Mix on sale at two for $8. Plus get 20% off planters and more. Find spring's best outdoor buys at Target, where low prices and great deals make it easy to save. Restrictions apply. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.